we are in the top 60 management podcasts in Singapore on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> we're, we're basically the Elon Musk of uh, Singapore. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. That's weird. That's weird. That, man, yeah, I can't. It's an amazing country. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to go and meet my new audience. There you go. Let's get that vaccine and, and move we'll right do, on. We'll do live podcast episodes in Singapore whenever we all get vaccinated. Yeah, yeah man. You, you see those people that go to conferences, they have the whole backpack mobile mm, podcast mm-hmm. set up. That could be yeah. us. That will be us. <laughs> that will be us. Yeah. Love it. Who's going to carry out everything, though? Is that me? No, we'll hire somebody. Like to, we'll, yeah. we'll outsource it. We talked about this. Perfect. Earlier. I've been yeah, looking Amelia for a way to, to the college right. fund. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get Amelia. We'll get Charles's girls. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> like little ducklings behind us. Uh, they wouldn't follow us. My kids would just run off and do whatever yeah. the hell they want. So yeah. we'd Free probably range. lose everything. Yeah. That's okay. Hey, so the question of the day, Ed, though, is how much money did you make or lose in GameStop today? I, I have some serious FOMO, Robert. And FOMO. I'm going to be real. I texted you last night about a position that I held in GameStop that I sold. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I regularly do is I buy stock in companies that are clients of our company. Charles knows this. GameStop for a while was was a partner. Yeah, we have some publications with them, some rep, like public the, yeah, reference yeah, stores. Yeah, right. Big and, projects. Um, and so just incidentally, I bought some GameStop stock because of that. And I was uh, liquidating a lot of my old positions mid-2020. And so I sold all my GameStop stock for $5.95, which this hmm. morning, I think it topped out at 480 or something. It, no, it <laughs> so went over 500. It went over today. 500. And that, briefly, I'm going to tell you, that hurt my feelings. That, <laughs> that definitely hurt my feelings. There's no reason for me to liquidate that uh, position. I could have held forever. It was just like a house cleaning sort of thing that I was doing with Robinhood. Not very popular today, by the way. Yeah. So you, you missed out. You have F- FOMO, major, but major you, FOMO. You AMO actually well, missed out. Yeah, my, uh, another friend of mine said it was I. Uh, it wasn't FOMO. It was FU that I I frigged up. And I was like, all right, fair. So I'm that's not sad my for you, story. Igor. I'm, I'm not, not sad for you. You're not sad for me. No, that's what you get for just playing around, dude, and not having an actual strategy. There's probably a point where, like, getting out of GameStop and reallocating funds into something that had a growth trajectory, a reasonable growth trajectory was a good idea. So it actually, at the time, yeah, at the time it was like a sound decision. (laughs) Yeah, I I basically looked at the portfolio, looked at all the things that I felt you could go short on, like over the next five years and got out. And I still actually stand by that decision. I still think that in five years, a a short perspective on GameStop is probably not wrong. Sure. So the, the interesting news of the day, there's two things going on here. One is there's a collection of online digital retail investors who all got together and someone or a group of people said, hey, these are the most heavily shorted stocks in the stock market. I bet if we all pile in here in a coordinated way and just don't sell, the price will go up. That will kill the margin requirements of these really large investing investment companies. And the brokerage that they go through will make them cover so they're borrowing shares, they got money, and if their debt or margin is over levered out of whack, based on some percentage of their account balance, they have to buy those shares back in order to cut in order to get rid of that debt. 
And then that's going to jack the price up even further. And that's what happened. These retail investors were surveying the market, found an anomaly and, and made a bet on that anomaly. That's just what everybody else does. So I think that's an amoral action that I don't think anyone was being evil there. And the interesting thing is they really exploited these large firms that take on way too much risk, way too much risk. And now today, the big news is, as you guys have seen, all of these brokerage firms halted trading on these stocks, AMC, GameStop, BlackBerry, because there was these three things going on there. And so all you could do is close a position. You couldn't buy, which means you couldn't bid the price back up and GameStop fell hundreds of dollars. And so that's, I'll be really interested to see if that's legal. I don't think that was something that, obviously this is a black swan event, but there's not really a precedent for, there's a precedent for halting trading, but not like we will restrict what you can do and can't do in our platform. And I think it was the clearinghouses behind the brokerages, not actually the brokerages themselves. They just stopped trading on those three stocks, not everything else. Yeah, what they said was, we are restricting what you can do with these three stocks. You can only close your position. You can only sell. You can't buy more. I'm not sure that's legal. There are levers in place to just halt trading. If things are getting out of whack and everyone can take a breath, you can shut it down for the day, whatever. Seems like that would have been an appropriate response if things are getting out of control. That's at the exchange level. That's not at the platform. Yeah, Yeah, the the entire stock is like halted. That's right. And that seems like fairly fair, right? It's just the things are going crazy. Triggers, you you got to right? let everyone like take a beat. Yeah, sure. But I, I can see why they would not want to do that. Weird. If it's just isolated to three stocks, then yeah, the... Can you can halt the that, stock. You don't have to halt everything. But the weird oh, thing is they restricted you to where you could only move the stock down. It couldn't rise oh, anymore. Oh, I see, I see, I see. That's yeah. almost like manipulation. The yeah. only action people can take force the the price in the direction that you as a large investor would want it to go. And then you see reports of those stocks are not showing up when you in search results and stuff like that. So senators are getting involved. Mark Cuban tweeted about it. This is going to be really interesting to see what plays out. It's a black swan event because AOC and Ted Cruz agreed on Twitter about this issue. And I don't know if that's ever happened in the political lives of those two particular individuals. That's right. You, you know, something big is, and weird is going on when you, when you have two folks like that both uh, saying the same thing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So that's hot news of the day. And on that note, we've wrapped up our Perma V series. We're about to go into another one, which will be really cool. I'm, I'm very excited about that. We will have an episode about it soon. But today we have some questions, basically a segment that we'll call questions from the internet, where over the course of doing this podcast, either uh, questions that are sent to us, conversations that we've had between other people at work or things that we've seen online. And so we have four today that we wanted to cover, and maybe we'll just go around Robin. I'll read the question. We can all answer it. That'll be a nice little reset episode. Uh, We'll have another one next week on goal setting going into February because uh, the year will be 10% over. And so I want to do a little bit of a check in there like we promised before, and then we'll hit the new series, which will be fun. Uh, so does that sound good to y'all? Let's do it. All right, cool. And I got to pull the questions up here real quick. Now, I think Charles and I haven't seen these questions. So I posted just, them in Slack. Oh, you didn't? Why? Well, I, I didn't read them. Okay. Yeah, I just pulled them up and it's, oh no, I don't know if I have good answers for these, but I'll <laughs> best. <laughs> this is going to be Igor's hot, hottest of takes. Hottest of takes. Yeah. Perfect. 
That's cool. All right. So do you want them one at a time? Yeah, let's do one at a time. Okay, here we go. So question number one, what are three books everyone must read to help them succeed in their career? So regardless of what profession you're in, what field you're in, you have a job, you have a career, you have some kind of aspirations and growth ideas about where you want to go next. What are some books that'll help you get to that end goal? So you can give one or a list of three. So our our listeners will get somewhere between three and nine recommendations. Yeah, I'm going to, oh no, that's fine. I'll I'll give a specific recommendation. I'll go. I had an initial reaction when I heard the question. You okay with that, Igor? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. The first thing that popped into my head as I read it was a book that is very old. I didn't have a specific book recommendation in mind, but I will give one in a moment. But I remember it was probably early days of the Farnham Street blog, which is something that I've been reading for years. I've even taken some of their workshops and they're phenomenal. Yeah, they're Um, great. And they talked about the importance of reading books that have stood the test of time, because if they've stood the test of time, there's very likely to be elements of truth within it. And that's why it has stood the the test of time. Timeless wisdom. Timeless wisdom. Yeah. And so it's, it is so hard to keep up with the latest and greatest best-selling business books and Although those are interesting, oftentimes they are variations on a theme of something that has been written about decades, maybe even centuries ago. And there's goodness in that, but there's also goodness in going back to the original source material, if there's such thing as original source material, but just going way back and reading. And that, and my specific recommendation would be something like Meditations by Marcus Aurelius who's a Roman emperor and is he's like the father of stoicism. He, Grandfather, uh, he is considered forefather. a stoic. Yeah. He's considered mm-hmm. a stoic. He's not the founder, but he's certainly a practitioner. And what I warn people about with that book is that it is a terrible book. It is mm. not a book yes. written for the general population. It is a private diary that a Roman emperor thousands of years ago wrote for himself to be a better human being, to be a better leader, to be a better emperor. And it is, you know, once you remember that, it is incredible. Like you get this deep, intimate look into one of the most powerful human beings on this planet in all history. And if you read it, you will see a lot of things that resonate within yourself. And and that's why I recommend Meditations. By Marcus Aurelius. So there's a book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. I've read that one. And I think he modernizes and narrates the, the, the stoicism idea and with Marcus Aurelius as a primary source of inspiration drawn from or, or reference. Would you, have you read that book? I have not read the book. I subscribe to the, the Daily Stoic um, That's Ryan newsletter. Holiday's that Ryan newsletter. Holiday. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that so you you have an idea. Then would you recommend if if someone was interested in what you said? Because at first you said old book, and I was thinking maybe I'm interested, and then you said Marcus Aurelius. I'm like, okay, I've heard of him, and then it's a terrible book, and I was thinking, oh man, I don't know if I want to trudge through that. And then the way you, the way that you framed it, though, I was thinking, man, the idea to get in the head of 
a, some, a, a mega successful leader just way, way back in the day. It's interesting to me. Would you recommend someone go down, but hey, try out the obstacles the way it's an easier entry point into this idea. And if you like it, you can go to the source material. Or are you saying, hey, you should just check out meditations because of that angle that you talked about before? It, you could go either way. I, I think if you're curious about stoicism, starting with a modern overview like the obstacle is the way is a great way to build a mental model for what is stoicism because a lot of people have this misconception that stoics are they lack emotion right stoic is like stone-faced in the face of anything good or bad that's just not true unless a misunderstanding of the stoic philosophy and i think we talked about diving deep into stoicism at some point on the podcast so i won't go into it now but if you're curious yes check out a modern day equivalent but then yeah read the source material but if you feel curious about getting into the minds in the mind of a Roman emperor, and you're okay with reading, reading it in that way, it's a diary, right? It's not full chapters. There's not, you know, flower, flowery language in it. It's just these little tidbits, some of which won't make any sense. Some of which are, will hit you deeply. And, it, and if you're okay with reading it over time, like going back to it, you can go straight to that, right? And read it as a, I'm going to open it up. I'll read a page or two and I'll put it down. I'll come back to it next week. Right? It's that sort of thing. So you could do either one. Excellent. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. And I do want to do a series with y'all around some stoicism practices, hacks, ideas, whatever, and how they might apply to you know, your work life, your professional life. Because so I, I do think yeah, it's not about suppressing or not feeling emotion it's about what you choose to, how you choose to interpret it and, and how, what behaviors you choose to engage in as a result of inputs. And that's just a yeah. highly useful skill. Yeah. Just recognizing what you can control and what you can't and then responding accordingly. I'll give you my second book recommendation and that's all I got. Cool. Um, the second thing that popped into my head was fiction book, some sort of fiction book that is pure joy to read. Probably the fiction books that I like the most are sci-fi, I guess I would say. And Ender's Game stands out to me as a great book to recommend. Classic. That, yeah. yeah. Game. Yes, absolutely. Don't, don't watch the movie. It's Correct. It doesn't do it justice. <laughs> I would, Movies yes. don't do, yeah, yeah. I agree. Ender's Game, yeah. I, I think, I, I, you know, I know this is about succeeding in your career. I absolutely think reading old books to get to truths and reading fiction to stimulate creative thinking and to get you out of your current world view is incredibly important to your career. So that's why I go with those two. And I'm a little bit slow on the uptake. You didn't so much recommend two books, specific books, as you did read an old book, read a sci-fi book for fun, read an old book for some greater truths, read a sci-fi book for fun. Yeah, and it and as an example, which one? Yeah, yeah, as an example, two meditations like. and Ender's yeah. Game. Yeah, you would make this a, a meta question with a meta answer. I like it, man. I'm, I'm That's sorry, great, dude. dude. It no, was the first thing it. that popped up. That's great. <laughs> That's so good because then it's how oh, I don't really like sci-fi. Yeah. You could read Game of Thrones. You could read whatever. Mm -hmm. Go read a, a fiction book and and take a beat. Lord yeah. of the Rings. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I would go there if you want something fantasy related. Yeah, love it. 
That was unexpected, man. Thank you. I like it. Igor, you want to go? You want some more time? Yeah. I'll- Let's go. Between one and three. Yeah, I'm going to give three. And, and one of them is more, I'm going to call it a collection. Okay, uh, then no I, more than seven. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and actually one of them is a specific book and then the two others are options. Thanks. We'll allow it. Yeah. I know one book you're going to recommend, Igor, but go ahead. Oh, good. We'll see, we'll see if you know what All it right. is. So the first collection of books that I recommend, and you can choose one, right? You can choose one of these books. You don't have to read all of them. It is... The Judeo-Christian Bible, the Quran, or the Bhagavad Gita, one of those, even if you're not religious or don't adhere to the specific religion that book is related to. And in fact, let's say you grew up in the Judeo-Christian faith, you should read one of the other two books, the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita. What about the, um, the Tao Te Ching? Good old Lao Tzu. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely read the Analects of Confucius if you want to get uh, a little bit more of that flavor. There's also some Buddhist works that I think Charles is much more familiar with than I would be that you can read. But to me, any of those old religious texts that are thousands of years old. So I think I understood the surface level of the why behind your recommendation. If you take the Quran, for instance, that's Islam. We work with several practicing Muslims in our day-to-day and going through reading some of that some of that text in the Quran, for instance, would create some shared empathy, shared understanding, which is something we've talked about before as we're really missing today. Because if we both look at Facebook, I don't know what's on your feed. You don't know what's on my feed. But the these old texts that people think are really important and, and valuable, you can you have now a more shared understanding. Is, are you getting at that too? After I give you all three books, I'm going to put a bow on it and tell you why. Oh, let's do it. Okay. Igor, I think you're just copying me, man. Those are old books. <laughs> They're definitely old books. And I'm also copying Mine, you for the Mine's not going to nearly be one. as heady as y'all's. I, I like this. <laughs> I'm copying you on the second one too, Charles, because it's also a collection of fiction. And I would suggest to read any and most works of William Shakespeare. If you're an English speaker and you uh, want to read fiction, and I'll tell you the reason why in a bit, you can definitely do way worse than William Shakespeare. All right. So any of the works of William Shakespeare, and like I said, if you've already read, let's say, Romeo and Juliet, that's a pretty common text in schools in the U.S., read it again, because you will read it in a different way. Or read something else. Read Othello or whatever else. All right. So second one. And then the third one, I think it's more recent, the most recent recommendation. I would read Machiavelli's The Prince. So those are the three collections or books an old religious text, the works of William Shakespeare, and Machiavelli's The Prince. And so now tie a bow on it, man. All right, now here's, How the, they bow. All related? here's the bow. The secret to success in, in life, and I think in leadership specifically, is understanding people, understanding their motivations, understanding their reactions, understanding the human condition, the drama, and reading those works exposes you to tried and true expressions of all those things. All those works are really about the human condition. And the more you understand the underlying principles of those works, you know, not the specific story of St. Michael slew the devil or whatever that is, right? Like the underlying feeling and emotion behind those things, the better equipped you will be to have meaningful and positive relationships with people, 
understand where different types of people are coming from. I think this is what you were getting to, Robert, expanding your understanding of others and just having better outcomes. So that's my big bow. The better you can understand people, the more successful you'll be. And these books have really stood the test of time and I think are additive. And The Prince is specifically created to understand people from a leadership perspective. I I really like that, Igor. I think you said more nicely what I was maybe trying to say with my answers too. It looks, the written word is incredible. There is nothing like the written word to transport us out of our day-to-day lot, whatever that is, into a completely different world, into the minds of other people. And there's a lot of goodness in doing that in terms of empathy and understanding and compassion and all that other good stuff. The modern day equivalent, by the way, of The Prince, Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power. So if you don't want to read something old, you can read that. And I think there's a a lot of similarities between those two. Completely agree. You can very much trace the 48 Laws of Power back to Machiavelli's work. Machiavelli gets a bad rap. There's even an adjective that people use. Oh, that's a Machiavellian (laughs) plan. But Machiavelli really gets a uh, bad rap. And, And he does write some things that people might find questionable. But at the end of the day, it's human nature. It's part of the human condition. And just because it makes you feel uneasy doesn't make it any less true or powerful. I heard a quote once too, which is, if you're waiting around for someone to teach you something that is perfect and you have no objections with, you're going to be waiting for a really long time. So you're, yeah, like, there, there are things to learn from these books that have been suggested. And if you read them and you like something, take it. If you don't, leave it. It's the Charlie Munger method. So cool. Okay, great. Y'all got really heady with this. Like mine are not as as deep. Igor, I forgot to mention, I thought you were going to recommend the, man, the product book that you recommend to all people interested. Marty Kagan? Yeah. Yeah, Marty Kagan. Those things are mechanics. And I would recommend them to specific people for a specific reason. But this question was so broad that I was like, what if I, like literally what book would I recommend to anyone? And Inspired has a small club of people that I'd recommend it to. That's why. But if you're a product person, or work in application development, definitely go and read Marty Kagan's Inspired. And he recently released another book, sequel, follow-up, called Empowered. So read both of those. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for that. All right. So I I gave a little bit of thought around this. I'm going to leave it on a bit of a leadership theme. So book number one. It's very on brand for you, Robert. Yeah. 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 So The Art of Leadership. Small Things Done Well by Michael Lopp. He is a sort of Silicon Valley executive, has a blog called Rands and Repose. His sort of nickname is Rands, which is funny because being from Texas, we're a little bit like unplugged from that world and actually met Michael Lopp at reInvent in Las Vegas. And he just walked by me and I said, hey, you're Michael Lopp. Nice to meet you. I'm Robert. And he's like, no one calls me Michael. <laughs> like that, I was kind of, I kind of took me a minute. And I was like, yeah, sorry. I learned about, I was introduced to you by your first book. So called Managing Humans, I think was his first book. But anyway, really good writer. What Michael Lopp does in his book is he talks about his career trajectory of manager, director, vice president, like roughly speaking. So it's split into three chunks and it goes through the lessons he's learned with some really good analogies. And that's probably why I gravitate 
towards him so much as like he he really operates on it like a, an analogy level. And it's good advice. It's it's really great. It's aligned with how the three of us view the world. So it's a really solid book. And if you're a individual contributor looking to be a manager, it's got something for you at the next level. If you're a manager trying to be a director, it's got something to eat for you at the next level. Same with vice president or as your lead directors, that kind of thing. And so uh, really good book. Highly recommend it. So that's one. Second is The Effective Manager by Mark Horseman. This is the book that basically outlines the manager tools guidance, which we've referenced on the podcast before. I really admire Mark. He's one of those, I would want to be like him when I grow up kind of things. Really great advice. There's hyper practical. So we recommend you do this. We recommend you say these words. Very into that sort of timeless guidance. These are people who have been in the trenches before, have led people before, have made the mistakes before. And you get their wisdom around leadership and, and managing other humans distilled down in a way that's practicable. And yeah, so they've had a Mark and Mike are, are great. Yeah. So awesome, awesome dudes and great book. Yeah, definitely. And so a very practical. If I could attribute one resource to my career growth, it would be manager tools and their guidance. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's number two. And then number three, the dichotomy of leadership by Jocko Willick. So balancing the challenges of extreme ownership to lead and win. Jocko has a book called Extreme Ownership, which is great. I like Dichotomy of Leadership better because it really goes into the balance of how do you be assertive and humble, right? Like you have to be those things in your life. You can't just go completely in one direction. And this kind of shows you how to balance those things, how to think about them. The thing about Jocko, which I think resonates with you too, Igor, is like he, he comes from a Navy SEALs background from war. He was in Ramadi and that all boils down to human nature as well. So it's he learned these things in the, the fires of battle, compiled how to lead other people based on like human nature and how they're wired and then spins it into something that's practical for your career as a leader in a business setting. So you don't have to be into war to, to benefit from this book. Stakes are high, right? Even these hedge funds we talked about earlier, yeah, they're going to lose a couple billion dollars here and there, but this is people losing their lives or on the line if you don't get leadership right in Jocko's position. Yeah, and I, we talked about this before too. One of my greatest fears in life is to my 60s, someone comes up to me and I'm at the grocery store, probably still wearing a mask at that time for whatever reason. And, oh, hey, you're Robert. Do you remember I was on your team 30 years ago and I really hated working for you. You were oh, such no. a jerk. Yeah, I went home every day and complained to my spouse about you and I couldn't wait to get off your team. Like that would, that's like a huge fear of mine. And so I think these equipping yourself, if you're going to step into a leadership position, you got to equip yourself with the tools. It's okay to make mistakes, but you got to, try to move forward in uh, in the skills that you bring to bear as a leader over time. I don't know if I've ever thought about that, Robert. I've certainly thought about, hey, I don't want my kids to stop me in a grocery store. It's like, man, I couldn't wait to get out of your house, dad. You sucked as a dad. I've thought about things like that before, but yeah. I've never thought about that from a team there member standpoint. six yeah. people on this planet where maybe eight that I would say that to today if I ran mm. into them. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the questions over here. This is this might be a good segue to the next question. I don't know if you want to go there or you want to 
keep talking about books. Yeah. So if you like the idea of stoicism as a leader, if the things that Charles and Igor outlined, if you look at dichotomy of leadership, there's two kind of dichotomies that Jocko points out, 11 and 12. So humble, not passive, and focused, but detached, I think are two really powerful pieces of advice for leaders and, and how to conduct yourself. There's a, my tie-in to y'all's super heady, interesting, ancient recommendations that made me look like a dummy. So there we go. Thank you for that. But Robert, your book recommendations are probably way more relevant, practical, pragmatic to the question. So yes. I think you answered the question correctly. I agree. Igor and I, yeah, we're, yeah. Yeah, don't listen to us. Most listen of the listeners who just listen to this podcast are not going to read our recommendations, but they've already written down the three books that you recommended and they're probably like on their Audible buying them right now. We have no affiliate links, so enjoy. All right, y'all ready for question number two? I think we only have time for one more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. So what is the most important thing a leader can do at any level? So if you can only do one thing, recommend one thing using that really broadly, what is the most important? What's first among equals? If everything else went away, what would you keep? The only one. I'll go first. And I, I fear ours are the same, so I'm going to probably have to think of another one. <laughs> There's something very tactical that are you asking like a tactical thing or just conceptual thing? It doesn't matter. Give you both. Whatever you want to do. I'll give you both and they're related. Trusted relationships with your team. And the tactical part of that is one-on-ones with your team. You stole mine. Now, now you have to come up with something else. <laughs> Dang it. Okay. I'll, I'll go next, Robert. I so fully can... agree, by the way. That's 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 the one. I, I like that. I think it's the trusted relationships piece resonates. I believe that as a leader, even if you are just you know leading one other person, you know, you, you've just got out of independent individual contributor and you're maybe leading a small team or something like that. As soon as you make that leap, I think the most important thing a leader can do is to work on themselves. And the practical, tactical advice could be go to therapy. I think everybody could benefit from going to therapy, whether you believe you have an issue that warrants it or not. It could also be things like daily journaling. What went well? What didn't go? How am I feeling today? What happened today that I'm proud of? What happened today that I would change? What did I learn from some of the bad things that happened today? That sort of introspection, self-reflection is what I mean by work on yourself. Because if you don't, you will inevitably harm the people that you lead. And as soon as you assume any leadership responsibility, in any small way, you are now responsible for the well-being of those people that you lead. You know? And so often, even well-intended people I see create harm to others because they have these blind spots that can only be uncovered through introspection. And that could be solo, but it could also be facilitated with something like, a, like therapy or a coach. That's fine too if you don't want to go therapy, but I think that is the most important thing a leader can do because otherwise you can do a lot of harm to a lot of people for a very long time and be and be like Robert, what he fears 60 years later, people coming up to you saying, I hate your guts and you have no clue. I had no clue that I was doing that. And so introspection, self-reflection, work on yourself and make sure you're taking care of the people that you're responsible for as a leader. Yeah. Robert, Quick example. Oh, go ahead. The six people that are in your mind, 
are very likely people then have not done what Charles is suggesting, had not identified and resolved their trauma, and then inflicted that trauma upon you as a coping mechanism or something else. That's And if they had taken Charles's advice, they would have been much less likely to pass it on. And then I would walk up to them in the store and say, hey, it was really great working for you all those years ago. That's That could be the difference. So Igor, you bring up a really good point too, especially in this time of disconnectedness. If you have those deposits in the bank account, the, in the emotional bank account, you can be in a given interaction situation and say something incorrectly or maybe a little bit too directly or the other person you're talking to is having a rough day and they don't hear you and you get the benefit of the doubt. So your team, your directs, the people that you work with, you're greasing the skids if you do that sort of focus on building trusted relationships. And that benefit of the doubt thing is huge over time as you're executing, as you're delivering, as you're in the trenches together. And then Charles, yeah, your point around, hey, you got to work on yourself so you don't inflict your dysfunction on other people however that manifests itself. So yeah, two really great ones. I probably don't even have to go now. I will anyway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, since Igor stole mine and Charles brought it all home, I do think the skill of uh, delegation is one that as a leader, even at the very sort of lowest levels of, of leadership, if you can start to hone and master that skill, there's really no limit to where your career can go. And that's because one, you're freeing up yourself to take on more and more responsibility. So if you can get 20% off your plate, that's 20% capacity you have to go and, and tackle what's next. And two, that helps grow the people around you. So your team gets better as well. And maybe a third one, which not a lot of people count or care about, but definitely should count it, is that's a financially sound thing to do for the organization. If the people that, if you can hand something off and as a manager, we'll stipulate that you're probably making more than the people that report to you. The same work is getting done for a cheaper price. And that's a, always a good thing. And so it's really the, the act, the art of delegation. You could check out the situational leadership model if you're interested in a sort of a practical framework for how to go about doing that. But that's a, a really great way to grow your career at any level. Robert, I have a perspective on delegations. Let me know if you disagree with this. I think of delegation as one side of a coin and the other side of the coin is coaching. When you delegate, I feel like for the delegation to be effective, obviously you have some things like the situational leadership um, model and so on, but coaching and delegation go hand in hand. And so if you delegate, you have to also know how to and to what degree to coach people that you're yeah, delegating and, to. Yeah, and there's cousins, right? So delegation is giving away your re- responsibilities. Assigning tasks is something that maybe you would just do as a manager right? So there are things that the people on your team need to do. You can assign them. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about giving away part of your role. And if something is small to you, and that's probably the best way to do it, hand off the things that are small and that you have on lockdown that are maybe not your your top three things, that's going to be big to whoever you give it to. And so there's definitely a, a level of support, of coaching, feedback, all things that are in that book I recommended earlier, The Effective Manager that will really help you do that effectively because you don't want to overload the people that report to you by giving them way too much to handle and then no support to get out of the deep end. And so I I definitely agree that you you have to provide adequate support and autonomy as the balance there to effectively delegate. Yeah. 
And I love that situational leadership model because it factors that in. I think part of it is like, what's the willingness and ability of the person that you're delegating to take on what you want? It's so powerful. And before I learned about that model, I didn't like the word delegation. Like I always had some sort of negative reaction to that uh, because it felt too much. I'm going to stop doing this, toss it over the wall to somebody else and forget about it sort of thing. I've been thinking more recently about, hey, you delegate because you're trying to scale yourself. You're trying to gain leverage so that you can have a larger impact in your team and your organization and the community or whatever. And for me, thinking about that as, hey, how can I scale what I'm doing helped me to remember that I have a responsibility to coach and enable others to do it as opposed to just tossing it over the wall and letting them flounder. Because I, I think that's where people get in trouble with delegation is they miss out on that coaching piece and working with them to come up with a plan to take on what you are wanting them to. So highly recommend this situational leadership model. We could talk a yeah. long time about we'll that. Just add yeah. it, we'll add it to the list. I think that's a good one to cover, especially to make practical and, and talk through, to have a little modern take on it and stuff. Yep. Okay, cool. I, I know we're over. I could do another question if y'all want. We could wrap it up here. And do the other two next time. Which which question would you go with? That'll determine whether or not I, I <laughs> Charles, stick. maybe just say what question. Which one do you want? To? Three or four? Well, I missed it. I, I I moved away from the Slack channel, so I got to have pull it back the up again. Incorrect feedback or the professional weakness? Which one? Oh, on either of those. That makes me feel bad thinking about those. You want a feel good question? A feel good oh, question. Feel good question. Well, I don't know if it's a feel good question, but it's not about your weaknesses specifically. So question three is, how do I handle feedback on my performance review that is incorrect or that I don't agree with? This was from Cora. And mm -hmm. I, would, I think here it's, hey, if someone comes and gives you feedback, if you have written feedback, formal feedback on a review, you look at it, it's, hey, you missed the mark. You're missing some context here. That's not my fault. That's Igor's fault. Whatever goes through your head, it's, hey, you missed. There's a swing and a miss. This is wrong. I don't agree. That's the, what just played in your head. What is the advice that you would give to this person at any level, individual contributor all the way up through executive, about what, what to yeah. do when you got the feedback, you just had your internal reaction. Charles, go. What do you do? Oh, you've already processed your internal reaction? No, no, you just, you're in the conversation. You've just been given the feedback. You have to respond now. How do you respond? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's do this quick because I am late for a meeting. I, <laughs> my advice would be sleep on it. Like just, just say, okay, thank you for the feedback. I need some time to reflect and think about this. Can I get back to you in the future? Because in, in that situation, the way you teed it up, nothing you say will be productive because there's too much emotional charge in that. <laughs> Speak from experience. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing is just to get some distance and get perspective in talking to somebody you trust, like maybe a mentor or um, coworker or a peer or somebody, that is the best thing you need. You need space and perspective before you come back with a response. Good. I have a thing, 24 hour rule, nothing we do at work is like life and death. And so when I had once like internally triggered for one reason or another, I try to just buy myself like 24 hours. And I think we mentioned before, people are usually pretty accommodating. Hey, I need a day. I'll get back to you tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Charles, I love your advice, man. Good. Igor, what do you think? You're on the clock. So you take that advice 
you write it down. If it's already written down, then half the job is done for you or the feedback rather. And then you go into a deep dive logical refutation of all the reasons why you don't agree no, with no, that no. feedback. <laughs> no, and, don't and, do that. And then you photocopy it or take a picture of it and, put it on and, Twitter. and text it to whoever gave it to you. Put it on Twitter, put it on Instagram, do a reading of it on TikTok, post that In on YouTube. 60 seconds or less. Okay, yeah. Uh, and that's it. You'll feel a lot better. You will have very logically and effectively refuted past, all the we're negative. Past time. Okay, it's root beer. Got it. <laughs> so I think maybe what Igor is saying is don't do what he just said. It's a horrible idea. Don't fight it. Your recommendation, in shorter words, is what not to do, which is don't try to refute it. Don't try to logic out your way out of it. Yep. The political capital you would burn in doing that, even if you could convince the other people around you that gave you the feedback that they're wrong, is not worth the battle. You're still worse off. You're worse off either way. Even if you're right, even if you're speaking the truth, even if you have all the receipts to prove it, don't. Yeah. So uh, I will fully agree with both of you. I accept the opposite of what Igor said, but I think we've been clear about that. Say thank you, take a beat. And the other thing I would add to that is you have an opportunity now. You've been given this feedback. People are going to look for, there's confirmation bias. People are going to look at you for that thing. And so if it's, hey, you interrupt too much in meetings, if it's, hey, you don't speak up enough in meetings, meetings are now your stage, your performance stage to show that that you have made progress towards the feedback. So say thank you. Have a little bit of a conversation later about, hey, thanks for the feedback again. I'm working on these three things in that area. And if it's completely wrong, like you're ahead of the game because you're going to easily be able to demonstrate growth in that area because there was no growth needed to begin with. And so use the opportunity that people are looking at you for those things. They've just told you what they're looking at. Use it as a a way to, as a stage, as a performance to demonstrate growth. Because sometimes you just haven't been, had a chance to demonstrate something. People are looking at you. It'll be a good way to, to show that you're bought in, to show that you appreciate the feedback, to show that you're coachable, and to show that you have upside potential and, and growth. So even if it's wrong, it's still in your best interest to say thank you and push on it and be vocal about, have conversations about, hey, here's my growth areas. Here's what I'm trying to get better on. And then in six months, check in. Three months, check in. Hey, I've really been working hard on this. What do you think? Have I gotten better? And I think you'll find some pretty good traction there. And over the next five years, you'll have a lot of opportunities to undermine and destroy the person that gave you that feedback. Yeah, Igor's in full Machiavellian mode now. (laughs) Bid your time, folks. Bid your time. Don't let them know you're upset. All right, I'm I'm cutting it off for now. Yeah, it's time to shut it down. Shut it down. Hey, guys, great to see you. Welcome back to the podcast. (laughs) It's been a really long week, and I know we had to squeeze this one in, and so I I appreciate y'all. It was great to see you, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Bright spot on my day. Thank you all. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WannaGrabCoffee or drop us a line at hello at WannaGrabCoffee.com. 